Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things strange and unusual, talking with shadows. The conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And Marcus D. And I want to give a big shout-out to Cider Boys for supplying us with this grape stomp, apple grape hard cider today. I'm excited about trying this. A cider with grapes, heck yeah, this sounds awesome. I wanted to get the uh, alcohol that we were drinking uh, acknowledged first, because I don't think we did that in our last episode, so... Wait, I, does that mean we can open them now? Yeah, we're going to open them Sweet. Now. All right. There we go. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Yep. That's. I was like, wait, why is he? Oh, there <laughs> it goes. immediately overflowed. Immediately. That, so, okay. Whoever was holding these in the car from the liquor store was very responsible, and they got <sighs> shook up. That was definitely you. And, oh, my God, these are good. Oh, man, that's good. Ooh, that's good. It's kind of like someone poured a diamond tap into my cider. <laughs> so I'm all about this. Tastes like a alcoholic grape crush, like with a, lot, a little less uh, fizz to it. Is oh, it, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's pretty good. All yeah, right. this is flipping awesome. All right, guys. So this whole month, uh, it is a new month. We are in December now. So now we are talking about our new top that we're going to be doing. Uh, unidentified flying objects. I'm so not, super. That is not I the topic. Want to do it? <laughs> That's why you open the alcohol first. I was wondering what you're doing. You're just trying to avoid the subject. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about it. It's, they're gonna get me. <laughs> this month we are talking all about giant birds and other avians, Whoa. and it is going to be awesome. With today's topic. The Thunderbird. Oh, that is. But first, roll those comments. I will do this. If you didn't check out our last episode, which is a very fantastic episode, and if we really <laughs> want to talk more about Chernobyl, I'm very open to doing that for Get this moving. episode. I Get don't moving, to... Marcus. We talked about Chernobyl and all the paranormal stuff that came from that. Uh, it was a great episode. If you haven't checked that out, do go over and do that. Said uh, T Matchless Mystic said, amazing as always, you guys definitely check out the crazy guys that tried to get into the fourth reactor, theoretically through the tunnels that are filled with water. And they tried to dive into it. That's a that's a poor decision. That was a p- very poor decision for anybody that would try to get into the fourth reactor. Again, that sounds like those stalker guys that just decided, you know what I'm going to do? Expose myself to as much radiation as possible. The like fourth this- reactor, that's the one where the elephant foot was, right? I'm pr- yeah, that's where like, it, it looks like a, like magma or, or whatever yeah. that, that came up. It just looks like this weird fleshy foot, which I thought was skin. Like initially, no, no. like when I see photos of it, in it, but it's not. I was like, ooh. Mm. No, I saw that. I immediately read it as molten metal. Yeah. Um, XP0X said, I've always been interested in Chernobyl and other things from the Soviet Union, Eastern Bloc, since uh, I felt like there was an extra layer of security, secrecy to the paranormal from that side. Didn't know there were more recent sightings of the Blackbird there. You should go back and check out some of our stuff on Paranormal Russia and stuff like that. I know yeah. we've done a few other things where we've talked about Russian conspiracy yeah. theories and other plans. Well, my, my major, I've always loved talking about Chernobyl and anything from the Eastern Bloc, too, because when I was in college, my major was political science, and I studied a lot of the Eastern, Europe gover- uh, Eastern European government and communism. So that was an interesting amount of studying whenever I was in college. So combining that nuclear energy, the paranormal, I mean, just that whole episode was just 
awesome and so much fun to do. So I was happy. We, I was happy we got to do it. Uh, first name, last name said, by the way, if anyone's curious, the doomsday clock is at 100 seconds to midnight. And also it, the clock, refers how close the world is to ending, not necessarily by atomic fire. Well, at least not anymore. For example, uh, we're now 100%. We're now 100 seconds uh, closer to midnight now because of COVID. And that's true because they've done. Oh, I, I thought it was specifically no, atomic. No, they moved it. That's that's kind of when it started. That was, that was what they had used it to help people kind of like understand like how close we were to nuclear destruction. They do the same thing for climate change. That has been a thing that they've used to, that, that's something that they've used the, the clock for First, as well. Thank you for using the term atomic fire. I freaking love that oh, word. Yeah, yeah. So Ben Brumfield said, radiation doesn't make giant animals. Uh, giant animals, the damage that is created to DNA actually makes animals smaller. Jeremy Wade went looking for a giant catfish in an episode of Reservoir Monsters. Every fish he caught was much smaller than they should have been. Yeah, usually mutants or irradiated fish are less likely to compete, which means they're less likely to get the caloric like energy to actually grow to a full size. Well, there I, is a small chance, like it's more of a theoretical chance that it could mutate the genes to lengthen the gene that causes growth, but it's not the likely conclusion. Most likely it's going to be a situation where you're just going to end up with something that can't compete as well. well I think too, the, the, the wild hogs that they have there in Chernobyl as well too. That's like the hogs that we have here in the United States, you know, they grow because there's no natural predators to yep. get them. But you know, people like to associate radiation and nuclear energy with mutations. But there so is a not? small chance you could end up with a giant. Well, there was, you know, when I was in college, one of the things that some that one of my uh, peers did in one of her final papers was she looked at how people through generations see atomic energy and and, and radiation. And a lot of people our age or or like, you know, uh, or younger saw it like associated with like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, so we, we were the generation that thought it would give us super. Oh, yeah, or, or Godzilla. So, you know, it's not surprising that today that people would think if you get exposed to radiation or the hogs did, then that's what makes them grow. Yeah, we also ate up X-Men, and that's definitely not how mutants work. <laughs> I don't know what mutation happened on Colossus' genes that gave him metal skin. Yeah. I, I am not sure <laughs> what gene affects that. Ever, ever, uh, Avis Rex, the Dark Phoenix, uh, awesome awesome person, said, uh, Oh my God, I don't get many shout-outs. Thank you for that. Uh, also, thank you for calling my name the coolest on YouTube, which is true. It is very cool. Uh, I look into a lot of cryptids, and if you ever want my theories, I'd be more than honored to chat, especially North American Fay. It's also pronounced Avis Rex. Translates to Bird King. Gonna downvote nice. that. <laughs> oh, no. Give him a heart for me. Give him a heart for me. Gonna give you the heart. There we go. There we go. And then take it away. No, no. Don't. No. You don't touch that heart. <laughs> I will throw another thing at you. Oh. I hope you guys can hear that. I love you, Dark Phoenix. The Laughing Fox, uh, even though you- your name translated something horrifying. Uh, Laughing Fox said, Marcus, you should have known better than to remind everybody of your phobia. Nothing uh, sways a crowd like a little. I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce that, which I assume is a fear of birds. I'm having trouble accessing Pedro, but put me down for team birds. Boo. <laughs> Boo. We're ganging up against I'll you this do. month. Um, uh, Chernobyl, my bread and butter, because I too am fa- uh, fascinated by nuclear science. Diving right in, because I know you only have so long to read the comments. The Blackbird story that I heard came from one of the liquidators. The porous would be that they dressed in woefully inadequate chem production gear and sent in as the first wave, and in some cases, literally kicked dirt onto the problem, 
One of the helicopter crews that was dropping buckets of concrete on Reactor 4 had a near collision with a black bird. Reportedly, it was diving in and out of the smoke and almost playing uh, in the towering column of pale uh, Chernikov blue light created by the ionizing radiation screaming from the hole in the roof. That was definitely an awesome sentence right there. Yep. Supposedly some of the boots. We might have uh, the most articulate, like, you know, do. followers we on, the, like, anything. I would like to point out that I've actually always said that nobody loves their followers more than us, even when you post comments about supporting birds, by the way. <laughs> I will still say that. Uh, we do have the best. Uh, supposedly some of the boots on the ground actually heard unearthly shrieking sound intermittently or saw a black shape flying in another smoke as well. I could go on for hours about the science of the whole event, but to be brief, this is one detonation change that, that changed the radiological environment literally the world over. Shades, takes up on, uh, shades, take it up upon yourself to look into it more. It's beyond fascinating and chilling. I like it when a shade calls the other shades to a call to action. I am going to take this seriously, and I'm going to try to dig for more. Hmm? First name, last name said, wah, my friend, wah. <laughs> I got to ask, what clan do you play? Oh, <laughs> I do, do you want me to answer it? Because I actually know your clan. Go for it. Goffs. He I plays do. Goffs. Everybody always said, what clan do you... Everybody always says, like, what clan of orcs do they play in Warhammer 40k? But my response to it every time is, no matter what clan you play, everybody's a goff when Thraka shows up. I actually made him a special custom goff... Or, not goff, but uh, Thraka piece for his birthday. You did. And it is absolutely phenomenal. It's one of my favorite pieces, and I always use it. So, when, and I always use it. And, I, I, and that is my Thraka model. I will not buy the... I will not buy the... Uh, I will not buy the uh, 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 the Games Workshop one. That is the one that I use. Can so. you can you name my uh, Space Marine chapter I play? Blood Angels. God damn it! You <laughs> never get it right. Blood Ravens. By Blood the way, Blood Ravens. I Way to swear, you potty mouth. That's I'm tech. sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. I get worked up when it comes to shame. Stuff. I did that just so you would get mad. But I know you play the Blood Raven. I did that just so you get mad. <laughs> he calls them Blood Angels all the time. Mm -hmm. All right. Should have told everybody to play Ultramarines. Boo. <laughs> um. Uh. Last couple comments that we're gonna do. Uh, Chill7509 uh, said, I'm not exactly a conspiracy guy, but it would not at all be the most shocking or even ridiculous thing if there was a Godzilla-type cover-up for places that have notoriously awful incident attached. Also, Marcus, man, sorry about the Thunderbird thing, but look on the bright side. You'll be prepared if you do your research. <laughs> that was 100% true. I have been eyeballing the Thunderbirds for a long time. You need I, to become like a hunter now. <laughs> I don't mind me. They're out there. You're like a vampire hunter just for big birds. Mm -hmm. Um... Dan Ward, uh, super patron, said, and I, I've seen radi radiological burns, and it's really not pretty. As for radiation effects, radiation can, over a long enough period, with low enough but semi-consistent radiation, there are some real mutations in the genome, and I can definitely see mutant humans being a byproduct of living on the outskirts of radiation zones where there's only minimal radiation lingering. Yeah, and I was thinking about that with, like, the sort of zombie look. The, the disheveled skin and stuff like that, that could easily be signs of long-term exposure to radiation. Well, we talked in the we talked in the Pillow Talk segment, too, about some discrimination that some of the people, the survivors of Chernobyl had faced. So if there were people that were living there with, ra with radiation, with effects from the radiation that are living in the Chernobyl area, yeah, I could see people not wanting to go out and mix mess community and being this weird, reclusive group of people that live out that people make up stories about. So I 100% believe that. Last comment for today. Nighthawk. Mothman is my favorite cryptid, so I'm always so happy to hear when it gets brought up. I had no idea that it had been spotted in Chernobyl. Kind of wild that it would be so far from its supposed home territory around West Virginia. Oh, man. Actually, Mothman has been sighted in a lot of mm -hmm. different areas. and We've done a few videos on it. If you go dig through our back catalog, 
we have some like I love the story of the Freiburg Shrieker. It's yeah. probably my favorite Mothman story, and that occurred in Germany. I don't remember the date offhand, but it was way before um, West Virginia. Check out our top five Mothman sighting video. We talk about it being sighted in Fukushima as well. Where we, by the way, coined the term Fukushima Specter, by the way, which I which I thought was really cool. Yeah, we could not figure out what to call it. So Nobody was calling anything, out. so we so we came up with the name. So if you guys hear anybody referring to it as the Fukushima Specter, that was us, by the way. First. Awesome. So, uh, what else would you like to talk about, Chernobyl Vic, for today? Um, I would like to talk about giant birds. All right. Crazy idea, right? All right. So, I will tell the story about the reason about why I am terrified of birds. When I was 12 years old, when I was 12 years old, I was living with my parents and my two sisters in Indianapolis. And one day, my irresponsible youngest sister, who was, if I would have been 12 at the time, that would make her five. Uh, she decided to leave her shoes in uh, on a tree, uh, like inside of a tree. There was some, there was like a few parts of the the middle part of the tree that were all branched out, and she had stuck it up in the tree. My mom told me to go fetch her shoes out of the tree. Now, while my sister couldn't walk out there to get the shoes, I'm still wondering that about 20 years later. <laughs> but my, no, I go out being the big brother that I am. I go to reach for the shoes. The next thing that I know, this large flash of blue, white, and black comes out of nowhere, and there's this stinging pain in my head. If you've ever seen, like, the original, like, uh, like Lord of the Rings animated movie, like, whenever Gandalf shows up and, like, kills the goblins and they, like, spiral and all that, like, that's <laughs> what that scene looks like in my mind. I felt like I was smoted by Gandalf or something, <laughs> like one of the blue wizards from Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, <sighs> And I start screaming, and this it keeps coming. It doesn't stop. I that gave it bird. I know that bird. Yeah. It's Blue Jay, the foe hammer. Ah! And this, I get the shoe, and I'm like, "You can have the stupid shoe." And I hurled the shoe at the tree, and I may or may not have knocked the nest, which made it worse. And then it just chased me all the way inside the house. So this sounds like a home invasion story from the Blue Jays' perspective. <laughs> I just saw this weird, dirty, grimy hand just <laughs> reaching up from the crowd and it freaked out. The worst part is he gets attacked by a Blue Jay again in college when we were roommates. Oh yeah, I do remember. Yeah, I, yeah. It was that uh, it was in a tree like outside our apartment. We were walking outside. And he just looked at you and just goes, "That guy, I'm going to attack that guy." <laughs> they they know. I mean, they know that. And every time we go to the zoo, the ostriches, you get real close. And I may have, I may have hurled a few insults at them and told them that they look like they should be in a blonde bucket of KFC. But oh god, that is where my lifelong fear of birds came from. I don't hate birds; I just fear birds because they're disgusting. And also, by the way, for anybody who wanted to defend birds out there, you know they were the second. Uh, they were also responsible for spreading the Black Plague in Europe, killing. Millions of people, thank you very much, just so people know that, by the way. They're not Birds innocent. Are cool. They are not innocent little creatures. They were right behind rats and spreading the plague. So birds I don't want to cool. hear from anybody that they I, don't I do like that. birds. They're not my favorite animal, but I like them. And every single, every single spring, there's a bird, some sort of finch, that builds its nest right inside my carport of my house. And it always locks eyes with me every time I walk out my house. Wait, what about ravens, hummingbirds, crows? Kiwis are kind of cool. All of them have to stay off my property. <laughs> also, too, you ever heard that story too that like says that if a, if a cardinal, if you see a cardinal coming to visit you, 
that's supposed to be a deceased relative that's coming back to visit you. I have heard that. That's like the nicest way of being told you're being haunted by. <laughs> I was just no. That was the stab the that bird that makes its nest under my carport. I always say the same thing. Like, you can stay there as long as you stay up there. And for the past three years, we've all been cool, <laughs> so it's never been a problem. And I wait very long time before I had to get rid of the nest. Okay, you ready to talk about Thunderbird? I guess. You want to give a brief description before we start jumping into the conversation? All right. So there you are, minding your own business, not bothering anybody. Maybe you're by yourself. Maybe with a friend. And all of a sudden, out of the deep sky, the sky darkens like a rain cloud or a storm that just rolls in out of nowhere. And you're like, why is this so dark? You know, it doesn't look like rain. And you look up, and up there, it's not a rain cloud. It's much worse. It's a large, giant, often black, brown, usually giant with a wingspan of about 20 feet depends depends on what story you get giant bird with giant talons with so that with its talons like claws like swords okay it seems like when we're talking about thunderbird i don't think we're always talking about the same creature because in my research i kind of broke it down to kind of two different categories one where the sighting is more or less a giant turkey buzzard vulture, something in that sort of vein, and it is abnormally large, like maybe two, three times the size of what it's supposed to be. Correct. But then there's the other side of the cases where people are seeing something that's more hawk-like, and it seems to be much stronger with accounts of it like picking up and flying away with deers, and these seem to be the ones that are usually described as flying in front of storms, too. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like we're talking about two separate things here. And that's kind of where I wanted to start the conversation. Well, also, too, when it comes to the Thunderbird, there's the idea of it kind of like Bigfoot of it being either a physical creature itself or possibly being some sort of a spiritual creature. And that is exactly where I'm going to head. Yeah. So it, it sort of depends on what part of the country that you're talking about and what culture of people that you tend to be talking about when it comes to... Also, like, what the Thunderbird tend to, tends to look to, like. According to some metrics, it's the second most reported cryptid in North America. Yeah, right behind Bigfoot. Which is weird. Because, I mean, but the thing about it is, is Bigfoot is also, like the Thunderbird, described to be either either brown, red, or black. I mean, you yeah. or, you know. You the know. most common one I usually see for the, like, more Corvid sort of, well, Corvid is not the right word, carrion sort of ones, is black. And the other ones, I'm I usually hear brown or red. The ones that seem to interact with people more tend to be uh, like darker, like tend to yeah. be, like tend to be like large, like black thunderbirds that people that people tend to see. The ones that are more brownish tend to be just out and about, or just by themselves, or just doing something particularly like like that. Or sometimes they're also associated with storms as well. So, how familiar are you with turkey buzzards? I'm not familiar with turkey buzzards. I I studied more of comparing it with, say, like bald eagles. Like yeah. that was sort of the animal that I that I that I saw it often being compared to by by skeptics and by by other people, especially like the people like in Pennsylvania, where a lot of people report seeing thunderbirds. Well, and I don't think it's probably a good comparison because the musculature of like say a turkey vulture and the musculature or the musculature of an eagle is going to be fairly different. They use their wings to fly differently. They have to use their uh, bodies and muscles to achieve different goals. True, um, and since so many of them. Seem to give a description so close to the turkey buzzards, but I want to know how familiar are you with them? Oh, I don't know turkey buzzards at all. Like, I I didn't get so much into the turkey buzzards parts. I got into 
I got into yeah, but I'm leading you somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah, but but go ahead. But okay, so you're not really very familiar with them. You know when like you've gone back to Hayden with me and helped me out with stuff. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen these things around that look kind of like vultures, though, right? Mm-hmm. Those are turkey buzzards. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of like Indiana vultures, I've heard them called before, but most people just call them turkey buzzards. Mm-hmm. They have that kind of general vulture-esque appearance, not quite as pink in the head and stuff. But if you think something, if you're not familiar with them, if you think something kind of like a vulture, you're not going to be super far off. Um, they're going to have a different sort of musculature of many of the animals. And the, the other thing is, when these are sighted, they don't seem to be of this insanely large variety. They're very rarely pointed out as like picking up a deer and trying to fly away with it. There are some accounts of them grabbing kids and trying to fly away with it, but in many of these stories, they're not successful. It seems like they're struggling to try to gain lift again, and usually the person escapes. Mm -hmm. Of course, sure, we're not going to get the stories from the kids who don't escape. Fair, but from the stories we do have, it seems like there's a notable amount of struggle with it. Beyond that, the 20 to 25-foot wingspan is not entirely out there as a possibility as far as, like, size for a bird. Sure, there's nothing alive nowadays that does, but I'm, and I'm going to screw up this word, guys. It's just going to be bad, but Argentavis? <laughs> Argentavis? Yeah, it's Argentavis, yeah. Okay. Um, Argentavis Magnificensis? <laughs> I don't know. I'm bad with it. Um, but... They weren't that far off from that sort of size comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, their weight was around up to like 150 pounds or pounds, too. Well, yeah, you talked about the kid. I mean, you talk about that they're not that they're not total opposed to trying to pick up deer or even trying to pick up people like like these vultures. But like it reminded me a lot of like probably one of the most famous Thunderbird stories. Uh, it was the the it was the Lawndale, Illinois Thunderbird attack. Uh, if you think about it, it's probably one of the most famous Thunderbird stories you probably have heard of. July 25th, 1977, it was Marlon Lowe. He's a 10-year-old kid that was in his backyard with his parents. This giant bird, like, picks him up and carries him a few feet, but then ends up dropping him. Yeah. And that's what some people think that it might have actually been. It may have been, a vult, like, a, like a vulture-type bird, like, trying to do something like that. A regular turkey vulture, I don't think, is going to get very far with a kid, unless it's a baby, maybe. But the thing is this, uh, it's... They don't normally, in my experience, someone who's an expert on turkey vultures may be able to correct me, but I've not seen them try to fly away with anything outside of scraps. I've seen them drag food before, mm-hmm. like grab it and drag it into a safe area, but I've never seen one like fly down and pick up like a rabbit and fly away with it. This makes it sound like you're trying to make an advocate, uh, like make a case for childhood obesity. Like, parents, make sure your kids are fat so they don't get carried away by a vulture. <laughs> I think they have bigger problems to worry about. Than being carried off by giant turkey buzzards. All I have to point out: eight years of Michelle Obama trying to target childhood obesity, and not one person said, "What about the Thunderbirds trying to steal my kids?" Not one person was brave enough to stand up and say that. But something of that sort of size right. of like Argentinius mm-hmm. probably could pull off trying to drag away a kid. It's something that should be within its projected strength. What? But taking off in flight with it would be very iffy. Like. How much would you say an average kid would weigh between, like, say, five and eight? Between five and eight, I'm going to go with over 50 pounds. Over 50 e- pounds? E- easily. That's it trying to take flight with one-third of its weight. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's got to be difficult. Which would be a challenge. It, yeah. It's probably not going to. But then we have these accounts of ones picking up deer and with a even larger wingspan. And generally looking more like hawks. And I feel like that seems to be something notably different. 
The other thing is with the description, physics says no. I <laughs> that it shouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, like I can't imagine a scenario with okay, they're describing a big bird, but for it to swoop down, grab the deer, and immediately be able to take flight again, uh, it needs to be bigger than what they're describing. Like they're describing something with a wingspan the size of a small house, mm-hmm. which is what would you say about thirty feet? Oh yeah. Um, it should be much larger than that to get the lift to take off carrying that much mass. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It kind of takes me to the direction that we were talking about earlier where I don't think, because you see this a lot. You, you see these cases pop up where they're consistently inconsistent in what it can do, which makes me think maybe it's a spiritual creature. Maybe we're seeing a spirit. There are cultures that revered these things as being more saying more of myth than a flesh and blood saying that has sacred power saying that would be perhaps equivalency to an animistic spirit. Well, the vast majority of things that I saw that these thunder, like, like Thunderbirds, I, I, I did see a couple stories involving and picking up something that big. The vast majority of stories that I saw, especially in Pennsylvania, were it talking about it, picking up small dogs or small animals or food like you know like like rum like rummaging through like like vegetables and stuff in a garden and stuff and then carrying them away the thing that i've always had a hard time with when it comes to thunderbird stories is when people give a description so of saying how big is something like i i don't think people often like i really wonder to sometimes too because if you're seeing something in the sky how, it's how, hard. It's how do you hard have a tell. size comparison to know how big something is? Like typically, like whenever you see forensic photos of anybody ever taking a photo of something, there's a ruler next to it. There's something next to it for size comparison. I mean, one of the one of the best things that we typically like we love watching, like watching death battles, like on, yeah, like on YouTube, battle. and and they always calculate the strength and speed of things based on how based on the size of something about it. And if you're talking about seeing people talking about thunderbirds, oh, it had this sort of size, I have a hard time, how do, I have a hard time guessing like the size of things being this close, let alone something being that far away in the sky to me. Yeah, I'm the same. It's just so hard to judge size at that point. Um, I mainly tried to focus on stuff where they were seen on the ground or near other objects, but Ellie did point out something to me when we were having this discussion. And Ellie was like, well, we generally, people who can tell plane size usually do so just because they know the height at which they fly. And then I started thinking about like just being a kid and mm-hmm. watching turkey buzzards. And I could usually get a pretty good gauge on how big the bird was before it landed. Mm-hmm. But I think that was possibly just because I was used to how high they normally fly. So I, I'm going to put this in the realm of it's hard, but if someone's familiar enough, I don't think it's impossible. Uh, that's true. I'm also not totally going to say that I don't think that some people may or may not be embellishing some of their stories. I always bring up the story of my grandfather and the one deer that he was ever able to kill his entire life, and he shot. And I remember when I was a kid, that was an eight-point buck. By the time that buck kept going up in number, by the time that he passed away, he was a sixteen-point buck. Point <laughs> buck by the time by the time he was done talking, um, by the time he passed away. So I don't know, but I mean, I'm willing to give people the benefit for the doubt of, of them saying that they. I I always do. I hate the argument that people say that people in rural communities don't know what they're seeing, like what specifically they're seeing. Like, you know, and I, I think you got to trust people to know the animals that particular in their community and they know what they're seeing. Yeah. Like even if they were describing something, like if they could see a turkey vulture, like they could tell the difference between a, say like a, a vulture versus 
a thunderbird. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like they would be like, oh, they could recognize what that particular like, animal was. One is. of the stories I had examined was the person, the first thing they had noticed about it was that it was bending the branch of, a, of an oak tree, and it was a thick branch. Mm-hmm. And they could hear cracking from the oak tree. And that's what caused them to examine the thing closer. Mm-hmm. And then that's when they noticed how big it was. Um, but truthfully, even with the size, of, unless these things have very unique musculature in a biological de- design that we're not familiar with, I just don't think it could fly off with something that's the equivalency of an adult deer. You still think that it had to be a whole lot bigger than what it was? Yeah, I think it would need a lot more lift and a lot more strength. Because mm-hmm. even like there are many large birds from ancient times, but many of them really had to sacrifice to be able to be that large. Like there was um, some birds that were massive among the biggest birds ever to live, much bigger than any birds we have today, but were only 45 pounds mm-hmm. because their muscles were more hollow than modern birds. It was like basically kind of a overlaid scapulary. Um or not scapulary, but scaffolding. Um, basically, yeah, they were big and they could avoid predators with their size. But at the same time, there's no way something like that could lift a heavy object. There's mm-hmm. no way it could probably even pick up a 50-pound kit because that's over its own weight. Yes, lift helps a lot, and it has a good design for that sort of pull. And I believe perhaps he could pull a kit, kind of like some of these accounts, but I don't think he could lift a kit, let alone a deer. How how many? This is something that I really want to get into because we're going back to that idea of is it a spiritual creature or is it a physical creature? How many accounts did you find where there was more than one witness? Um, only a handful. Yeah, that was that was the same thing that I found too. I was I was I was listening to an interview with Stan Gordon. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he's like the kingpin of paranormal in Pennsylvania. That's just what he does, and he was talking about this, and he was talking about that many of the Thunderbird reports that he gets written by people, are often people that are seeing the Thunderbird by themselves. So I, I thought that was rather interesting because we been talking about, is it a spiritual thing? Is it not a spiritual thing? And something that I thought that was interesting was some of the indigenous peoples that were around North America and what the Thunderbird represents. And I was talking about the Ho-Chunk people. Um, they're from like North, like Northwest Illinois. Uh, they would talk about that if you saw a Thunderbird, that it was supposed to be like a symbol of you being an important person, like you being some sort of important person. So I'm wondering if what's going on with the Thunderbird, if it is a spiritual creature, people are seeing it, it's supposed to signify something, and people are missing it. That's really neat that you went that direction with it, because Ellie went the same direction. Because when we were having Mm -hmm. our conversation about, is this a spiritual thing, her first response was, what, why would they be appearing to people? What message are they trying to convey? Well, several of the other, like several of the other of the other like indigenous peoples, like all around the world, or sorry, all around North America, specifically, all talk about the Thunderbird in some way, in some way, shape, or form. It is this guardian spirit of something above dealing with something below, mm-hmm. either some sort of like underworld, underwater, like it, it opposes some sort of like force that typically is negative towards humanity. Yeah, they have this sort of angelic guardian Correct. archetype. Like, and I'll, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm sitting there going, so this is where, like, Tolkien got this idea. <laughs> I'm like, I, I see it now. It's making sense. Like, are you familiar with the Devil's Lake story? Uh, I don't know the Devil's Lake story. Um, I did really prep this one because I wasn't planning on bringing it up. 
But this one's somewhere in South or Central America where there's this lake called Devil's Lake. And mm-hmm. there's always been this rumor that there's some sort of, of like creature left by the devil there. Mm-hmm. And reports of this large kind of flying creature flying in and out of it. And some people have related to the story of the Thunderbird that is trying to protect us from whatever dark thing's supposed to be down there. Like, I, I have a harder time believing that the Thunderbird is a physical creature and not a spiritual creature. Because, I mean, I don't like the saying this. I don't. The, the further that we get in, like, the further that we go on and as technology advances, it makes it harder for me to believe that some of these things are physical. And we, and we have never photographed or seen any of these things. I mean, even if you look at the ocean, where we know very little about the ocean, there's creatures that breathe underwater that are large that we know that are there. So it makes it harder for me to believe that there is a creature that can fly that big that we haven't seen. doesn't mean anything that, it's not, that it's not real. Can I make a counterpoint, though? Because sure. I was thinking about this, too. And I'm I'm kind of in two minds. I think we're talking about two separate things, both called Thunderbirds, and I think one is probably spiritual and the other one is likely biological. But think about it like this. As we were discussing, it's hard to tell size when something is flying, right? Correct. If you have something that looks like a turkey buzzard and is flying up in the air, even if it's three times larger, I think most biologists would have a hard time spotting that size differential. And if it's not landing near them, they're probably not going to notice the difference. I think this this thing could stay elusive just because it's being misidentified as like a turkey buzzard. I, I but I but I think but but some of the places that we're talking about, we're talking like we're talking like northwest Illinois, and we're talking like Oklahoma, or we're talking about like western Pennsylvania. I'm like there's there's parts where it's where it's spotted in n- not that rural of an area. True, for, large for, birds for it to can, be seen. Large birds can fly huge distances. When you increase True. the size of a bird, you increase the amount of time that True. it's going to be spending flying because it's not advantageous for it to be landing and retaking off a lot. But even bald eagles or even hawks that have a wingspan of even up to 20 feet don't go further than six miles from their nest. True, but that's in a raptor family. Raptors aren't really meant for that sort of long term travel, you should we should probably be looking for something more like a condor or an albatross for what we're talking about. Because eagle eagles are hunters. They're not going to really need to travel a mass distance. But if they migrate, then they would make it even more likely that they would be spotted. Like it would make like that's my point. But so that's why I'm saying I'm not saying that they're not real, but it would make me believe that it would have to be some kind of more of a spiritual creature that people are seeing. Now, these ones filling out... Because it's big. The ones pulling off the supernatural feats, the ones that look more like hawks that are seen flying in front of storms, yeah, I am more than willing to say I think those are non-physical entities. If people are telling the truth about seeing them, I don't think they're seeing a biological entity. But these ones that just seem to be abnormally large turkey vultures, I I, I think that they're viable. I, I think it could remain elusive, and I think that they could physically pull off the feats that most people see them doing. I have one argument to counter that, but why I don't think that's true. That one account I've ever seen of somebody seeing it from a plane. Yeah, but they're probably not flying up that high. I'm, I mean, that's just my point. Like, my point is even people that even people that are up in that air, typically it's always spotted by people on the ground. It's never even focused on people that are typically like either flying or is doing that, anything. Is it that much easier to tell size when you're up in the air? When no, you're but I, in flight? I think that it would be. I think that it would be easier for you. I'm not sure. I think that it would be easier for you to to see the wingspan of something if you were flying. But that's my point. It's like I I think that because it's so big 
that it makes it harder for a dude to not be spotted. Now, that being said, now that being said, again, I'm not saying that I don't think that it's not real because I do think it is a something that I did not realize about the Thunderbird is how widespread oh, the yeah, story of the Thunderbird is all across cultures. I've said this about Bigfoot. Okay, there's going to be something to a story where literally cultures upon cultures around the world have similar stories. And tons and tons and tons of cultures all around the world have stories about massive giant birds. So I think that has something to be said about what is it or why, like, like. Oh, one more thing about helping them stay elusive mm-hmm. is going to be caloric intake. They're not as often going to be looking for carrion that's common around towns and less often in rural communities because they're going to be needing to consume a larger amount of food. So that means likely they're scavenging things like deer carcasses out in the woods. I really wanted, when you said caloric intake, cattle, like when you said caloric intake, I really thought that you were like, it eats plants just so it can stay invisible. Wait, what? <laughs> like supernatural stay invisible. That's just what I said when you said caloric intake. I mean, I know what you were getting at, but I get it. I get it. No, I definitely don't think they're eating their veggies. I think that they are consuming protein to no, fuel their body. No, but I mean the fact that the fact that we can spot maybe some veggies. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the fact that we can spot creatures like a great white shark or other things like that, and even photograph them, and they live underwater, and they have to live underwater, makes it hard for me to believe that we that that there is a physical creature like bird that big that we have not seen. But that being said. There were way more accounts of this going into this than I realized actually with how many oh, yeah. people had, had sort of seen one of these. So it shifted my belief in these things radically when I started uh, researching the Thunderbird. So I wanted to point that out. No, I would definitely buy that. Uh, these ones that look like hawks that possess this abnormal level of strength, probably spiritual things, maybe like either something that you could equivalent to an animistic spirit in like the Americas mm-hmm. or in like proto-European religions with Celts and things like that, um, or perhaps like something from the elemental tradition, because it is, in many traditions, they say it creates the storm. It's not taking advantage of the storm, it's creating the storm, which you would commonly see at least in parts of Arab or Arab cultures, North America, Mongolian, Australian, things like that. You have plenty of cultures that recognize that sort of elemental spirit, uh, most um China, most of China has a tradition that represents that. I'm, but true. Uh, but I also believe that that with ancient man, if they they would see like some sort of giant bird, and then a storm comes by too, they would be like, like that damn bird's always bringing oh, yeah. storms well, all the time it goes through. The thing is, like birds fly in front of storms for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, it can kick up food into the air when the uh, wind flows through. It just can knock up light food like bugs. The other reason is it creates this updraft that makes it very easy. And especially a large bird is going to really want to take advantage of it because that's a lot of free travel where they don't have to expend nearly as much energy. Mm-hmm. So especially a large bird has every reason to take advantage of this. So what about, I want to get into this before we, before we wrap up the episode for today. What about the stories of the Thunderbirds, but they don't have feathers, but they have like reptile like skin. Do you like, do you think that that is a Thunderbird or do you think that's just being lumped in? One thing I did think is that perhaps a Quetzalcoatlus, if they could fly, which is a matter of debate, could possibly pick up a deer. That is something that I did think about. It has a sort of size, the way its membranous wings flow, I think it could. But the thing is, we are also aren't totally sure the Quetzalcoatlus could fly. It definitely was related to other things that we're pretty sure could fly, but we're not 
100% sure. And just so you guys know, the Quetzalcoatlus is the largest um, pterosaur that had lived. And it was very, very, very big. With the sort of wingspan and the, with the sort of musculature, if it was capable of flight, probably could. Because that's one of the weirdest things about, like, the Thunderbird Storm that I didn't realize, too, that people lump these weird lizard, like, with, like, scaly membrane skin things in, too. Like the Tombstone Thunderbird, um, which is a story from the 1890s. Uh, in which generally these dudes out in the Arizona desert shot and killed a Thunderbird. And there's this weird fake photo, by the way, going around of like these dudes with guns like sprawling out like a pterodactyl. I've seen, that, I've seen that a few times. I've heard people argue that it's fake. It, that's not. I, no, the photo's I think it fake. looks fake. No, the, the story is real. The photo is fake. Okay, I, I always look at them like there's no yeah, way it's real. No, because people, what happens is people will, go, people will go back for that story and and you can pull that actual article uh, from the area at the time, and there's no photo. So the photo that surfaces is fake. However, the story actually ran in the newspaper there in Tombstone, Arizona, which was interesting. But I didn't realize there was that many actual stories of people reporting and seeing these weird, like, pterodactyl-like... Oh, yeah, like, ter- different forms of pterosaurs. Mm-hmm. Sightings like that are actually really common. We could mm-hmm. probably dedicate a whole episode this month to pterosaur sightings and things along those lines. Well, well, that's actually one of the biggest skeptic arguments against the Thunderbird is that people make, some biologists will make, they're like, oh, no, what indigenous people saw was they found fossils of pterosaurs was what they found. So they just assume, which you can find in North America and also around the world, but people would find the fossils of pterosaurs and then they would just associate that with just some sort of like legit bird. There must be some sort of a bird that is, because it looks like a bird that must be that big and, and then therefore the legends came. However, the biggest problem with that is uh, there's Thunderbird sightings uh, well into, I don't know, 2020. So, And once again with the Quetzalcoatlus, if it you know. could fly, it can't. It wouldn't be able to lift straight up off the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see it unfurling its wings and being able to fly up like you see a bird. It's probably going to have to dive from a height to be able to fly. <sighs> now, if you want to be scared of something, be scared of those things. Look up one of those things. They're scary as hell. They're huge. They're massive. And they could probably pick up. I mean, they probably actually could pick up certain things, too, that are, that are heavier. I wouldn't be surprised. Did you know that there was a time in our history where birds were one of humans' main enemies? I believe that. Like, I wouldn't even imagine, like, just be sitting, just minding my own business, walking around, and just death from above just happens. Just I get picked no, up. No, it wasn't that. Are you familiar with terror birds? Terror birds. Terror birds are massive land-based birds that basically were alpha predators of that time. And we have, um, we, we know that they were a big issue for humans because we would commonly find bones from that time period with this very distinctive piercing in the skull that's from their beaks. And it leaves a very, dis- or very distinctive mark that's easy to identify. So you don't know what a terror bird is. Imagine a cross between a velociraptor and a dodo bird. Oh, and here's the problem. These things are way bigger than velociraptors. I know. They 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 literally tower over a six foot tall human. I'm looking at something. Look for up an comparison. elephant bird, which was the largest terror bird. Elephant bird. That's that's just a metaphor. Now right, this you know. is the bird you should be you should be scared of. <laughs> this bird is scary. Oh my god. That's gonna be your nightmares tonight, man. That looks like a pissed off emu. Like that is disgusting. But yes, it was big, it was mean, and would have no problem killing human. It definitely is not a Thunderbird. These things could not take flight, does not meet the description of what we're talking about. But I just want you to be aware that at one point in time, these things were a problem for us. This this makes me feel a lot more... I don't just- know if the elephant birds were, but terror birds were. I mean, this makes me feel like a lot more justified that I would take a swipe at an ostrich. Like, I would. I would <laughs> throw... Ostriches will kill you, I know. Man. I know they will. But if I'm close enough, I'm just... I'm going to go on a swing, but they'll, they'll kill you. Like, an ostrich kick can kill a lion, so... <laughs> 
I mean, they're they they're messed up. I mean, and they're strong. So what what are some of your final thoughts about? Okay, my about final the, thoughts about on Thunderbird. Thunderbird are this. I think that we were talking about two different things, and I think our conversations will go a lot better if we break them up. They're the ones that are described generally looking like buzzards, which I would say are biologically feasible. For the most part, I haven't heard too many accounts of them doing something where if you look at comparative compare them to other birds that once lived, what they can speculate or what they could have speculatively done, it doesn't seem outside the realm of possibility. I also do believe that they could remain elusive. On the other hand, you have this other breed of bird, these giant hawk-like ones that are doing things that even at a stretch are hard to justify. And the traditions claim that these may have been spiritual entities. I'm not against the exploration of that possibility because I don't think they're physical. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that you have to remember when it comes to Thunderbird sightings is twofold things. One, I think people have a very hard time being able to gauge size when you're talking about something that looks that's up in the sky. Makes it very, very difficult. It's hard enough to, to gauge size just like, you know, whenever you're that close to something. But when you add the fact that it's way up in the air, I think that makes it even harder. I think also, too, one thing that should be taken note of, too, is when you look at a lot of different birds as they advance, they actually change over time. So if you think of something, say, like the bald eagle, and you compare it to reports of what the Thunderbirds look like, like in, in Pennsylvania, where they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, it'll have a, like a large black body with like a white ring around its neck. Or other people describe it like it's, you know, brown or golden, which is what they look like when they're adolescents or things like that. But... There's also accounts of like people being literally so close to a bird, they can actually like the Thunderbird, they can actually see how massive these creatures are. And there's some reported stories of people them seeing them try to pick up deer and trying to cart them away. And there's also just accounts of people that are in the Midwest where some of these birds shouldn't exist. Yeah. And they, and they'll still report sightings of massive birds these signs. And also too, if you think about how widespread stories of the Thunderbird are all around the world a lot like Bigfoot, it begs the question of what are all of these cultures seeing simultaneously? It's food for thought. Do you know what the uh, what type of bird the biggest living bird is now? What? Take a guess. The biggest bird? Yeah. The biggest flight, or sorry, flying bird. Biggest flying bird is a, oh, I know this. It is a, it is a stork, right? No, it's an albatross. I'm pretty sure it was a stork. You know, I I might have been wrong. Largest flying bird. About to wrap up the episode, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to. We can go a little. Ah, bit. crap! I was wrong. Yeah, it's like it's an albatross, and that surprised the hell out of me that the largest flying bird nowadays is an albatross, especially designed for long, uh, long term flying over ocean. You know, what my favorite albatross is no, the one from Rescuers Down Under. That was a cool albatross played by John Candy. So just. Uh, John the, Candy, we miss you. He's a he's it's albatross. It's a jumbo. I'm gonna watch that tonight. But hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you like this episode, leave us a like, leave us a review, leave a comment. What are your thoughts on the Thunderbird? Do you think they're real? Do you think people are just misinterpreting what they're seeing? Is there? Do you think it's physical? Do you think it's spiritual? Do you guys think this giant albatross will come for Marcus next time he's near the ocean? I will stab it with his cork, <laughs> with his bottle opener. I will defend. I will defend myself. It tries to. Let us know. If you, uh, also, uh, leave us a review. If you like us on uh, YouTube, make sure that you hit that notification bell so you can stay up to date whenever we put out any new episodes. But until next time, guys, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. 
All right, guys, we're going to slide into the Pillow Talks segment of this podcast. If you want to check out the rest of this awesome podcast, all you got to do is go over to our Patreon and sign up. For as little as a dollar a month, you get the rest of this awesome podcast, as well as bonus episodes that we put up exclusively for our patrons. If you sign up to be $2 more of a month, you actually get to vote in the uh, in our poll for the theme of next month in January, uh, where we're going to put up our poll a little bit later uh, in the day today, but we're going to add... Magic and monsters. Heck yeah. Yes. So it's going to be time and space anomalies, past life phenomenon, the conspiracy iceberg, and magic and monsters, which is going to be awesome. Let your voices be heard and go sign up to be a patron and vote in our poll. But for today's uh, Pillow Talk segment, I thought that we could talk about The Rock. Doesn't that sound awesome? That does sound pretty cool. That sounds awesome. So Actually, I, have, I have a good segue real quick. Sure. Okay. In the Middle East, there's a lot of stories about the rock carrying off elephants. It's part of, like, the iconic rock story. And the Thunderbird, on the other hand, a lot of its iconic stories, particularly around Alaska, involve it swooping through the ocean and flying off with whales. Mm -hmm. So, interesting comparison, apparently, uh, Thunderbird's...